been speaking about loving-kindness this evening, I'd like to begin with um, a statement of the Buddha, one of his most important statements in referring to the, the purpose of loving-kindness meditation. The Buddha said that hatred will never cease by hatred but that hatred will cease by love alone. I think it would probably be very difficult to find any conscious being in the world who actually would disagree with such a statement. It is probably clear to all of us the way in which hatred escalates, the way in which alienation escalates, the way even holding on to a single judgment about another person is powerful enough to create division and suspicion and mistrust. I think we are all faced in our own lives and in our world with the power of ill will, the power of hatred, and understand that it can never end through adding yet more fuel to its fire. That hatred and that ill will and that alienation can only come to an end through the power of love. Intellectually, of course, it is easy to agree with this. Experientially, we probably know its truth. It is one of the most difficult understandings to live in accord with. Certainly, in our world, we see cultures, groups, religious groups, ethnic groups, political groups, social groups, adopting and living by a different understanding, somehow believing that there is a point to hatred, or that it is too dangerous to give up ill will or anger. We live in a world which has somehow surrendered its trust in love, in a world which has in many ways surrendered its faith in the healing power of friendliness and forgiveness and acceptance. And in that surrender we see the effects that scar our planet and our communities and our relationships and ourselves. And I think for those of us, for many of us in our lives, we do begin to appreciate that the capacity to love and the capacity to extend warmth and friendliness is not really a luxury in our world. It is something that is essential to the survival of our planet and our communities and our relationships. Learning to live in the spirit of loving kindness is the greatest of the human arts. Learning how to cultivate an open heart and a forgiving heart is the greatest of the human arts. It is, in a way, very simple. It involves such, again and again, the willingness to let go, the willingness not to harbor resentment, the willingness not to harbor ill will, in a way, it's not a complicated path to friendliness. In a sense, it's extraordinarily simple. 
And yet it is the path and the act which in itself has the power to bring a tremendous dignity and integrity to our relationship with ourselves and with others. It brings a power to dissolve division. Now certainly in Buddhist teaching it is said that there is no barrier and no obstacle which is strong enough to withstand the power of loving-kindness. It is not just that loving-kindness has some kind of disembodied power. Of course, loving-kindness has power when it is embodied, when it is lived, when it is brought to touch our world and ourselves. Now, there is no one who is exempt from the need for loving-kindness because there is no living being in our world who is exempt from pain. Now, in those moments in our own lives when we suffer, when we are faced with sorrow, when we are faced with the pain of death, or loss, or separation, or loneliness. In those moments that all of us do meet in our lives, what is it that we find ourselves yearning for? Now, in those moments, we are very rarely looking for prescriptions, or good advice, or formulas about how to cope with sorrow. Much more, what we find ourselves reaching for in those moments of vulnerability is the healing and the loving support and presence of another. When we look at the conflict and the sorrow and the pain in our world, I think we all know that it is not yet more philosophies, more systems, not more money, not more formulas that is called for to heal the conflict in our world, but this very simple reminder that can be alive in our hearts of the need that each of us has to touch our world and each other with friendliness and warmth. The need that each of us has to live in a spirit of service and impeccability where we respect, extend respect to the world around us. Now if we reflect a little bit on our lives and those moments when we feel most lost or most filled with anger or with hatred, or with alienation. I think all of us know that those moments are really the darkest kind of prison that we can inhabit. That in those moments when we feel overwhelmed by resistance or anger towards another person, all we are able to see in those moments is darkness and shadows in another person or in ourselves. Forgiveness or understanding or compassion or friendliness, they become distant memories that are drowned or forgotten by the very power of ill will. If we also think upon the moments in our lives when we have felt most close, most intimate, most deeply bonded with nature, with another person, with our own being, where we have felt most connected with a sense of care and generosity and compassion. Those moments are, of course, not strangers to any of us. We have all felt what it means to experience experience a profound openness and sensitivity and receptivity in our world. And in those moments, what we know, of course, is connectedness, is understanding, 
is the willingness to learn. In those moments in our lives when we have sunk most in pain or hurt and rejection, we know that one of the most healing things that we can encounter is to receive the loving care and support of another person. And we know that when we have been able to offer that ourselves to another person in pain, that many of the barriers and walls that seem so strong between us and another do dissolve. This is the way we discover interconnectedness. This is the way we discover intimacy. This is the way we discover bonding. By being able to penetrate beneath our images and our judgments and our conclusions and the ways in which we dismiss either other people in our world or in ourselves. Intimacy and superficiality are not compatible. Interconnectedness and holding are not compatible. And it is possible for each of us to learn on a moment-to-moment level how to dissolve the walls which can surround our lives. Now, our lives and our experience in reflecting upon them and understanding them We see that our lives and our experience are really, we have a microcosmic view of all living beings. From the smallest creature to the most powerful person, fear and sorrow feels the same. From the smallest creature to the most powerful person in our world, safety and care feels the same. Loving kindness, friendliness, being able to live with that spirit in our lives is a very powerful way of cutting through the veils of our own stories and dramas. It's a way of knowing that another person's pain and sorrow is no different than our own pain and sorrow. It is a path of healing. Healing begins through dissolving distance. Healing begins with intimacy. And loving kindness surely is a path of healing. I feel that all of us need to know what it means to touch each other with an open heart, to acknowledge our interconnectedness, our interdependence if we are going to live in a sacred way. Loving kindness meditation, the actual practice of it, is actually an appeal to the heart. Now all of meditation, all meditation practice is actually about learning how to listen inwardly, how to attuned with sensitivity to our own inner rhythms and the rhythms of our world. Much of, I mean, meditation can be described as the art of connectedness, of learning how to open, learning how to be touched, learning how to receive. It would, of course, be simply far too superficial to, to regard meditation simply as some sort of form or practice that we become experts in. Meditation is much more an art of learning how to connect, form bonds of connectedness with each moment. And loving kindness meditation certainly invites us to listen to our own hearts, to connect again and again with what is fundamental to our own well-being, our own freedom, and our own peace. Peace within ourselves. Because if we can connect with that within our own being, we actually connect with it with all, within all life. There is no differences on a fundamental level. 
It is learning to connect again and again with the understanding of the need to develop a clear sense of focus about what actually matters. What is of true significance in our lives, in our directions? Answering this appeal to listen to our own hearts it does connect us with what is fundamental to all of life. And out of listening comes response. You know, sometimes we think, or, you know, we want to think, or struggle to find the ways to, to live in a more loving way, to be more compassionate, to be more sensitive, and struggle to find all the answers to how to do that. And yet, I do feel that we need to know how to drop inwardly onto another level. By listening to our own heart, we actually find our paths, our guides, and our teachers that show us the way to live with sensitivity and with care, with compassion. Listening to our own hearts to what actually matters to all of life, shows us that compassion and loving kindness really need to guide our lives. There is nothing that is inconsequential or irrelevant within our minds, our bodies, our thoughts, our words, our actions. I mean, I feel so much that meditation is actually discovering and nurturing a kind of reverence for life, truly understanding that everything is worthy of our fullest attention and sensitivity, that everything truly does matter. Every word that we speak, every thought that passes through our mind, every action we engage in makes a difference creates a ripple upon the world. Some of the ripples that we create are ripples with further alienation. Some of the ripples that we create are ripples with further connectedness. Much depends upon our motivation. Much depends upon what we are actually connected with. Much depends on whether we feel present and clear within ourselves or whether we feel imprisoned by our own conditioning. And understanding that everything truly does matter does bring a quality of reverence to our life, not a self-consciousness of constantly evaluating every word we speak or every thought we think or every action we make, but I think through understanding our interconnectedness we willingly give a greater care and attention to our presence in the world. We gladly undertake the challenge of being conscious, of being awake. I think also we begin to understand that the how to reconcile how to reconcile so many of the apparent paradoxes in meditation, in the spiritual life. You know, sometimes it seems that on one hand, meditation is talking about letting go and emptiness and renunciation and non-attachment. And on the other hand, meditation seems to be talking about loving kindness and compassion and generosity and intimacy. And I think often these two seem to be very much divorced. And sometimes we wonder, well, you know, how, if we're involved and engaged in renunciation, you know, how can we be nurturing compassion? If the world is empty, you know, it doesn't really need loving kindness. You know, the most logical thing is to try and get out of it. Um, you know, sometimes I think it seems, you know, we... It's a non-attachment. Well, surely that must mean non-attachment to all of life, too, and that it's really not up to us to make any difference. And sometimes that polarization 
It's really a mind that is just simply too attached to its positions. And often we become attached to positions because of fear. You know, I think you can understand the attraction that emptiness has if we find a lot of difficulty and intimacy. You know, and I think you can understand the attraction that non-attachment has if we find it very, very hard to form bonds of connectedness. I think we see these polarizations are actually not very real. Non-attachment is an understanding and insight that brings a fulfillment of love and a fulfillment of selflessness. By making no demands upon the world, upon other people, upon ourselves, by making no expectation of return, by not investing in results, by being able to give freely, we cultivate non-attachment. By understanding emptiness, the emptiness of self, we also see the ways in which we dissolve the barriers between self and other. We actually see that the person that we see before us is really no other than ourselves in a different form. Really no other than ourselves in a different form. And what enhances the well-being and the freedom of ourselves is what enhances the well-being and freedom of another. What enhances the peace and compassion within the heart of another is the same as what enhances the freedom and compassion within our own heart. Now we talk about loving kindness and in a way it seems, you know, it does seem a terrific idea to live with loving kindness. And it can also seem like an impossible idea. It can seem absolutely to be too idealistic and too unachievable. It is true that it is very easy when everything is wonderful in our lives and we feel very close to other people and we're with people that we like that it's very easy actually to be filled with loving kindness. We all know this. When I know for myself when I was uh, living in India and spending many months on, on developing meant to be developing loving kindness and compassion through meditation and reflection. You know, I, I felt you know, sort of overflowing with metta. You know, I lived on a mountaintop in the Himalayas, you know. I was surrounded by smiling Tibetan people, you know. I didn't have to work. All I had to do was sit around all day and think about how much I loved everybody. And of course, I hardly ever saw anybody except these nice Tibetan people, you know, who were very happy for me to be there. It was so easy, you know, after months, I was convinced I must have been the most loving person in the world. And I couldn't think of a single person that I didn't feel, you know, love for. And then one day I had to go to New Delhi, to, you know, which is a different world in India when you move out of a Tibetan village into the bustle of India. And I had to go to New Delhi on the bus to do some business. And... You know, I came down off my mountain trail top, you know, filled with loving kindness, of course, for all of India, and started getting onto the bus, and the conductor pinched my behind. <laughs> and in the next moment, I hit him. <laughs> I did quite hard. I punched him in the jaw. And it would be nice if I could say that I hit him with loving kindness. <laughs> I didn't feel the slightest bit of loving kindness when I hit him. I felt totally angry. And it is, you know, it is why, you know, with this practice, it is about real things and about real situations and about real people. And it's about being with real feelings which are difficult. And how to find that sanctuary within ourselves that is a refuge to us, that is a sanctuary that allows us to meet our conditioning 
our conditioning which pushes us into anger and ill will with an open heart. And this is what is so crucial about loving-kindness meditation. Not just that it's about feeling good about people we already feel good about. You know, this is not where loving-kindness meditation is most needed. It's most needed in those situations that we find the most difficult and the most challenging. Because this is where we are really challenged on a heart level to look at what it is we truly feel committed to. What it is do we really honor? And do we have the courage to live in that spirit? And I would say that loving-kindness meditation, it seems to me, it requires an enormous amount of courage. You know, it is so much more difficult to love, to forgive, to let go, to be generous, than to fall into our most familiar patterns of anger and ill will. Because within those patterns, we can find so much justification and support. Within loving kindness, all we have is trust. That's all we actually have is in loving kindness. We have no guarantees that the loving kindness we connect with and endeavor to live in the spirit of, we have no guarantees that it makes any difference whatsoever in the world. We have no guarantees that it makes any difference to anybody else whatsoever. We have no guarantees that it will change conflict, that it will undo hatred. We have no guarantees that we will be loved more in return because we choose to honor loving kindness. All we have is trust, trusting that this is a way of living in a sacred manner, and that this is a way of living that actually honors all of life and that part of ourselves that we feel to be true and authentic. This is why it takes so much courage. Loving-kindness really is about extending a boundless, unexclusive, impartial friendliness to all beings in all moments. It is a practice of connecting us with the natural radiance and goodness of our own hearts. It is a practice of no division. It is a way of living in the spirit of no division, making no distinctions between friend and enemy, between ally and adversary, making no distinctions between what is worthy and what is unworthy, what is deserving or undeserving, what is known and what is unknown. It is a practice of no prejudice. This is very difficult. A practice of seeking only to foster and enhance all that contributes to the well-being of our world. Sometimes the spirit of loving-kindness is likened to the love that a mother would have for her only child. It is a way of protecting well-being. Now, sometimes, I think, when we hear loving-kindness talked about, it rather tends to meet up against the walls of our own resistances. Now, we can probably think of all kinds of reasons why it is impossible and possibly even undesirable to live in a spirit of loving-kindness. When our minds get to work with loving-kindness, it's clearly so illogical. You know, it's, I mean, the practice is illogical, you know. I mean, there's no way that all beings are ever going to be always happy and free from suffering. But you just, you just tend to, all right, that's all right. You put that aside. But what tends to come up for us is the but. The but. Well, you know, it would be good to, you know, to really live with loving kindness. And I've got so many issues and problems I've got to sort out first. That's one of the buts that come up. Another but that comes up is tends to be the one that says, well, there are so many oppressors 
and exploiters in the world promoting sorrow and injustice. And what really needs to happen here is that these people are stopped, that this much more needed rather than loving kindness. Or another thought that comes up is, well, you know, it's fine to be loving, you know, loving and caring and generous, except about this particular person who I dislike, who's giving me a really hard time in my life. You know, I will love everyone except this one person. And we may have very just reasons for feeling very distant and very alienated and very suspicious of a person. And we think, well, they have to change first before I'm going to be loving. After they've proved that they're deserving of loving kindness, then I will extend loving kindness. This, of course, is very conditional. There is a, it's a short story I'd like to read you. There was a farmer who requested a priest to recite sutras for his wife who had died. And after the recitation was over, the farmer asked, Do you think my wife will gain merit from this? Not only your wife, but all sentient beings will benefit from the recitation of sutras, answered the priest. Well, if you say all sentient beings will benefit, said the farmer, my wife may be very weak and others will take advantage of her, getting the benefit she should have. So please recite sutras just for her. The priest explained that it was the desire of a Buddhist to offer blessings and wish merit for every living being. That's a very fine teaching, concluded the farmer. But please make one exception. I have a neighbor, a neighbor, who's greedy and rough with me. Please, just exclude him from all those sentient beings. Sometimes, too, we think another but around loving kindness in relationship to my needs. Sometimes we feel that we are very wounded, that we do not actually have the power to extend loving kindness, that we need it much more. Sometimes we feel that loving kindness might make us too passive, you know, and then that there will be a pain, uh, there a continuity of pain. Well, I would like to say loving kindness is not about some sort of spacey sentimentality, you know, of drifting out around the world thinking everything is wonderful and terrific. It is not. Loving kindness does involve discriminating wisdom. It certainly involves courage. But it means non-rejection. It means that no matter what happens, we do not put someone out of our hearts. Loving kindness doesn't ask us to suppress or to bypass our objections, but to trust in the power and the capacity that we have to heal. To bring the light of understanding through loving kindness. To bring connectedness through loving kindness. To trust the power this has to heal. To connect again and again with what we wish our pathway to be in our lives. What do we wish our pathway to be? Do we wish to travel the pathway of pain? and alienation, or do wish to travel the pathway of healing and connectedness. And that pathway actually begins in each moment. It begins in each moment. A loving kindness is not necessarily the result of making some grand spiritual effort. It is not even necessarily that we have to change our lives in order to live in a more loving <coughs> way, although this is possible. Loving kindness is not a goal to strive for in the future, and it is not as if we are trying to emulate some model of saintliness. Our path begins where we are. It is not about being saintly. It is looking again and again into this moment, so looking and exploring.
exploring the ways or the possibilities of transformation that are available to us. What does it mean to extend loving-kindness in the face of hatred? What does it mean to extend generosity in the face of resistance or ill-will? What does it mean to extend understanding in the face of, of judgment or prejudice? This is where our pathway begins. Remembering that the point of loving-kindness meditation is to dissolve alienation, to nurture connectedness. That cannot happen anywhere else but now. It is not easy to develop loving-kindness. And much is asked of us because loving-kindness meditation certainly does challenge our most deeply conditioned patterns our most deeply conditioned patterns of judgment or indifference or self-centeredness, the patterns of jealousy, of fear, so much hinder loving-kindness, the patterns of defensiveness or aggression. We encounter these patterns, these forms of conditioning in our lives and in our meditation. And sometimes when we encounter them, we find ourselves creating even further ways of judgment. Now, sometimes it feels, you know, at times to be a burden to begin to wake up in our lives. You know, if you sit and you're, or you, you live in a more conscious way and you're aware of the mind that is judging, and you just can't get away with anything. You know, awareness actually means that it's hard to get away with anything. You know, you're, you're awake, you're aware of the mind when it's judging, when it's holding, when it's resisting, when it's projecting. And sometimes in those moments we find ourselves even more judgmental. I shouldn't be so judgmental. You know, I shouldn't be so prejudiced. I shouldn't be so jealous. You know, I shouldn't be so you know, uh, envious. And it is so easy to get tied up in a knot of condemnation, a spiral of self-judgment, which leads to more and more contraction. And of course, the more contracted we are around how we should be, or our own spiral of judgment, that is the degree to which, of course, we are disconnected from who we are, truly, and from all others in the world around us. It is why it is difficult, difficult and challenging, for us to remember that all of these patterns of conditioning are actually the compost, the fertilizer for the deepening of loving-kindness. That loving-kindness is learning how to embrace all things in this world and all things in ourselves with an unconditional friendliness. And this certainly includes the unpleasant, the difficult, and the challenging. When we meet judgment or anger or defensiveness, this is our opportunity to learn new ways and new levels of acceptance and forgiveness and letting go and generosity. We don't learn about that somewhere else. You know, we don't actually learn about letting go except when we're holding. We don't actually learn about forgiveness except when we're in the grip of resentment. We don't actually learn about loving-kindness except when anger beckons us and invites us to see that there is another way of being in that moment. These are the moments in which we explore what is possible for us. Otherwise, so much of what is important to us in the spiritual life, of compassion or friendliness or understanding, it's so easy for all that to remain just being a good idea. The reality of those qualities, the reality of connecting with those qualities, 
lies in those moments when we are most deeply challenged. There is a story about a, uh, an English gardener who had an obsession about growing a perfect lawn. And he did everything right in terms of tilling the soil and leveling it and putting the right fertilizer on and putting the best grass seed on and watering it diligently every day. And after some weeks, the grass started to shoot through and he looked what had the most perfect lawn he'd ever seen. And one morning he got up and there was a dandelion growing in his lawn. He ran out and dug it up with his trowel and burnt it on his bonfire. The next morning there was two dandelions. Again, he went out there digging up these dandelions and disposing of them and buying the best weed killer. And the dandelions kept growing. And so he wrote away, you know, to the Royal Gardening Society, you know, how do I get rid of these dandelions? I've tried everything. I'm tearing my hair out. They are spoiling my perfect lawn. And the letter came back to him saying, Sir, about your dandelions, I suggest that you learn to love them. The things that we call our weeds and our imperfections, they are actually our invitations, our vehicles for transformation. Now one quality which is really crucial to the development of loving-kindness is the quality of forgiveness. Forgiveness the capacity to forgive, to let rest what has already gone by. The capacity to forgive is the basis for beginning anew in any relationship. Whether it is a relationship with another person or whether it is a relationship with ourselves, Unless we are able to let rest what has already gone by, we are a prisoner of it. We are tied to an eternal dance with a shadow partner in the absence of forgiveness. Now probably we have all experienced this, that someone has hurt us in some way. They have wounded us in some way. How often our minds return to it. We want it to be different. We want it not to have taken place. We want things to have turned out in a way that they didn't. We want someone to take back the words that they've spoken or the actions they have performed. We want not to be hurt. This is the bottom line. We want not to be hurt and yet because we feel hurt or wounded, we feel unable to let go of the person or situation which seems to be the source of that pain. They may have been the source of that pain. What is the source of that pain in the present? Is it really still that person or that set of circumstances? Or is the source of the pain in the present really our holding onto what has already gone by? And because of that, our difficulty, unwillingness to begin anew, to see ourselves in a new light. Forgiveness is a remarkable act of compassion for ourselves. It is not only an act of compassion for another person. It is a remarkable act of compassion for ourselves that actually allows us to begin anew in our lives, in each moment, in our relationship to who we are. In holding on to what has already gone by, we perpetuate pain and sorrow. It is ended only through our willingness to forgive. 
Our forgiveness is also linked to humility. Our capacity to forgive is actually always, in so many ways, linked to humility. Now, of course, it is very easy for all of us to condemn another. When we see so much suffering there is in the world, it is also easy for us to become a little bit righteous or superior. You know, when we see, you know, someone striking a child or hurting another person, or when we see these most horrific sights through our televisions and our newspapers of, of cruelty and murder and insensitivity, it is very easy, of course, for us to say, this is not me. I would not do this. This is beyond me. Sometimes there's an absence of humility in that. If our lives were different, if our lives were different, if we lived in a different environment, exposed to different values, if we grew up amidst hatred, if we grew up amidst abuse, how would our lives be different? If we were deprived of love and care and sensitivity, who would we be? Anything another person says or does could be us in another time or place. Anything we have done or said has been done or said a thousand times before. Cruelty is forgetting the face of human suffering. Superiority is also forgetting the face of human suffering. It is easy to highlight imperfections, not understanding its sources, and not understanding that in the face of cruelty, in the face of oppression, in the face of violence, that really it's so easy to lose face when what we mostly need to nurture and to honor is trust. Otherwise, we are paralyzed. We are paralyzed by a loss of faith. If we do not trust in the goodness of our own hearts or the possibility of goodness within others, we are paralyzed. And we can actually only reach the goodness in another's heart through humility and through forgiveness. Faith is important in that. It is what inspires us to continue our journey. Trusting in the goodness of another is the least gift that we can possibly extend to another. Acceptance is also a part of both humility and forgiveness. Acceptance is not about passivity. It's not about being disempowered. It's not about saying that everything in the world is acceptable. There is much in the world that is not acceptable. Acceptance is a different level. It is not being deceived by images or by models or by appearances. Again, it is so easy to reject or to deny on the base of an image or an appearance say, you are like this. You are this kind of person. Or I am this kind of person. I'm angry. I'm a terrible person. Now, acceptance has to be a part of developing loving kindness. We all stumble in our lives. We all falter. There are many mistakes we make and many doors we have left to open. There are many times probably when each one of us has said something and then wished that we had never spoken or done something and wished that we could undo what we have undone. And in those moments when we have stumbled or faltered through the power of our own conditioning, one of our greatest longings in those moments is to be able to appeal to another person for understanding. For them to understand that that moment of greed or that moment of anger, that that is not the totality of who we are. That is not all of who we are. And surely that is the kind of understanding, the kind of acceptance that we need to learn how to offer to others. That willingness to move on. 
It leads to a deepening of interconnectedness. It is a willingness to let go of our images, our attachment to appearances. And it certainly brings a quality of, of sensitivity and impeccability to our lives. Now, loving kindness, as we've mentioned so many times, it is not a state. It is something that calls for renewal again and again and again. It is a path where we dedicate ourselves to nurturing what enhances our own well-being and the well-being of our life. And we dedicate ourselves to letting go of that which destroys, that which undermines well-being. It's renewed in every sitting, in every walking, in every moment. That very renewal is actually a profound expression of loving kindness. The willingness to renew that commitment rather than to be a prisoner of conditioning. And out of that renewal of commitment, there does emerge understanding and friendliness and love and a spirit of loving kindness. May all beings live with sensitivity. May all beings live with acceptance. May all beings live with compassion. If we have just Two minutes quietly together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.